Hola y bienvenidos a la Daily Hustle Deuces Wild. Noah Marte por Ofilter Network. Will the Thrill, not with us this morning. Miguelito San Dieguito, not with us this morning. Henry Markin, not with us this morning. Giuseppe Pepe Manuele, not with us this morning. But John Davis, I see you on here, motherfucker. So a very pleasant good morning to you. And let's salute our boys properly. Yes, 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 yes. Woo. A very pleasant good morning. On the fourth day of December 2023. Let's not forget our title sponsor that make this program possible. Bet online that's right the holiday season is often rolling with nfl in full stride and the nba and nhl hitting mid-season form bet online is your number one destination for all of your sports wagering info with up to the minute wagering news odds trends and predictions bet online is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports and is not just a big four Bet online has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that's played from MMA to international soccer to underwater basket weaving bet online is your destination. Don't forget to go to bet online today and remember to use our promo code believe capital B L E. A V for your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Also, let's not forget about our partners at KT Tape. That's right. Give yourself some of the pro oxygen tape by hitting the QR code in the upper right hand corner, my left hand corner, somewhere up there. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, nor did I say the Holiday Inn Express last night, but I can tell you through experience, this shit works. When you apply the tape, it lifts the skin and promotes blood flow to the area, thus reducing inflammation and alleviating pain. KT Tape, deflaming muscles since its creation. And lastly, to focus for the show, I got myself... A shot of Verge. Hold on a second, because that one's empty. Here we go. We got a full one now. It is a little lemon. It is a little ginger, a little cannabis. Not exactly sure how or why it works, but talk about getting me dialed in for the show for the rest of the day. And it is incredibly soothing on my throat, which helps after all of the tequila that I drank on Saturday night out in Fresno or Clovis, I should say with the climbers and the Matoyans and just awesome group of people. So salute to everybody there and go see our guy, Jory over at tryverge.com. That's where you can get this shot of life. That is legit. And I'm not messing around. Okay. Today's daily hustle. Buenos dias. Today is Monday, December 4, 2023. And it just so happens to be National Dice Day. So let's celebrate these ancient gaming tools. I saw that, but that was a description of what dice are in the, I don't know, wherever I looked up that it was National Dice Day. They call them ancient gaming tools. It's just fucking beautiful. And uh, let's get after a little craps. One, four, 24, or possibly some liar's dice at the dinner table tonight. Today is also <clears throat> International Cheetah Day. The cheetah is native to Africa and central Iran. And as of 2016, the global population was estimated at 7,100 and is considered an endangered species due to high disease rates and conflicts with humans, including poaching. As many of you know, the cheetah is the fastest animal on earth running speeds upwards of, wait for it, 60 miles per hour. Daily Hustle quote of the day. 
when some of our ancestors were crossing the plains in their Conestoga wagons, braving the elements, risking disease, starvation, and death in the wilderness, they had a blunt saying, quote, the cowards never started and the weak died on the way. But in the history of our civilization, the great advances that made possible, it is not a story of cynics or doom criers. It is a gallant chronicle of optimists that determined people, men, and women who dream great dreams and dare to try whatever it takes to make those dreams come true. End quote. Ronald Reagan. Daily Hustle translation in life, if we so choose to push boundaries and chase dreams, we must meticulously plan out our journey and properly prepare for whatever harsh elements and potential inherent risks we may encounter. There will always be naysayers and critics. These condescending fuckos will talk shit, but it's imperative that we remember they are and must be viewed as completely irrelevant do-nothings. The adventures we choose are certainly not for everyone, but regardless, it's important to remain and display eternal optimism while asking ourselves what dreams we chase and actions we can take to help advance our American society and positively impact our world. EB. So there is today's Daily Hustle. You got to love getting a Ronald Reagan quote in there. A lot happening to recap the weekend. The game yesterday between the 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles, I watched on my iPad as we were driving back from the Central Valley. And the tale of really, what, one quarter and then three others. Because the Niners had a tough time getting it going. But if you follow this team and you've seen what they're capable of, you had to believe that it was just a matter of time. And I know I did. Now, was I a little concerned after it was 6 nothing and it felt like 1,000 to nothing after the first quarter? Yeah, sure. But at the same time, what they've done really well through the course of the season or this group has, like, they'll make adjustments. And not every drive is perfect. But I just had this feeling that the better team would prevail, and they fucking did. And they did it with a vengeance. They did it with an attitude. They did it in a way that basically put up the double middle finger to Philly and said, you know what? We're the best team, motherfuckers. They don't care. They also proved, and I love this about them, that they will stand up to anybody. They will not be bullied. They don't give a shit about going into Philadelphia. They really had a huge statement to make, in my opinion, because what happened in that NFC championship game was rough. And I get it that they lost Brock Purdy right away. And then the game was over at that point. But the other huge thing about this, and this is really make determine who ends up going to the Super Bowl, is who has home field advantage. Because the Eagles now have two losses. The Niners have three, and of course, the Dallas Cowboys have three. So this is going to be a fight for home field all the way down the stretch, meaning that every single game is critically important. I would believe that the Niners would most likely still be favored even if they had to go into Dallas. We obviously saw that they were favored going into Philadelphia. So they are the front runners statistically right now as far as the odds to win the Super Bowl. That doesn't mean shit. I also don't want to come on here this morning and gloat. There's no huh, there's no room for that. There's no time for that. This isn't a going to be an I, I told you so sort of daily hustle when I suggested potentially taking the alternative line of 17 and a half and that the Niners could cover it. We also suggested, both Henry Markin and I, that you back up the truck, you empty your bank account, you go ahead and take whatever money you've saved for your kid's college tuition, 
and you put it on the Niners. That's how confident we were. I suggested a money line. Felt like that was going to be the best play. Best bang for your buck. It was minus 145. Just fucking easy money. Oh, jeez. I mean, they might as well have gone ahead and just stood out in front of the bank and just... Any takers? Any takers? Who wants our money? Who wants our money? Be careful now, though. Vegas is going to get sharp because the line wasn't big enough. It wasn't nearly big enough. It should have been the Niners like six and a half, seven. That's probably what the line should have been. I bet you that's what it would be if they played this thing over, even in Philadelphia. But stay humble or be humbled. I get it. I know a lot of things can change. There's a lot of moving parts. But as for this game this past weekend, there was zero question in my mind that the Niners were going to take care of business. And then, sure, Eagles fans, you want to talk shit and say, well, what about the first quarter? You play four fucking quarters for a reason. <laughs> I mean, is that really an argument? Because I've tried to hear it. I, I, people have been trying to say that shit. And it's just, come on. Don't waste my time. This is, what well, I mean, they, they couldn't cover the first half. I mean, it was, yeah, if you want to say for first quarter. If you said, hey, we outplayed him for a half and this and that. You outplayed him for a fucking quarter. And that was it. So, all right, this is the first article I want to get to. Because we talked about the first quarter. How Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers regrouped after the first quarter crush to the Eagles. He had spent 10 days methodically preparing his team for the moment and 10 and a half months swallowing hard and taking grief from self-appointed schematic gurus. Now Kyle Shanahan was back at the scene of the notorious trauma and everything about the San Francisco 49ers return to the city of brotherly love was going terribly wrong. Just as it had in late January, the NFC Championship game, the 49ers Sunday at Lincoln Financial Field was developing into an inexplicable mess before they knew what hit them. This time, with a minute remaining in the first quarter, the Niners had been signed for a two-play, had been signed for a for two 12-play drives by the Philadelphia Eagles offense while summoning only a pair of meek three and outs on their end. How ghastly was it? San Francisco gained a total of minus six yards. Brock Purdy on the field where he'd suffered a career-threatening injury in January was 0 for 4 with a sack. That came courtesy of an old friend, Hans, Hans, Hassan Reddick, the guy Shanahan dared to block with a backup tight end last January who was seemingly in Purdy's face on every snap. It was 6 nothing Eagles. But it felt like a hundred zip. It did. As 69,879 fans at the link. I like that nickname. Roared for more in 49ers fans everywhere. Got that sick sinking feeling once again. Shanahan, for a few seconds, got caught up in the stress too. He and several of his assistant coaches got intense on the headset, raising their voices and addressing the urgency of the situation. Oh, then the head coach took a deep breath, steeled himself, and coolly reminded his position coaches, just calm down, everyone. We're good. As Shanahan recalled, more than an hour after the game, as he drafts in the visiting head coach's locker room, you got to remind yourself and the whole team, like I know the feeling we have right now, is probably the same that people have watching it. But the bottom line is that it's 6-0. So just relax. Let's start playing. Don't panic. I know how it feels, but all that matters is the scoreboard. He wasn't kidding. In their biggest regular season game of the Purdy era, the 49ers 9-3 were able to overcome their slow start and outscore the Eagles 10-2 now by a margin of 49-19. Now with only a game separating the NFC's top two teams in the standings and a Head-to-head tiebreaker in their favor. The Niners can start thinking about possibly seizing the conference's top playoff seed and the first-round bye that comes with it. So the Niners are going to have the head-to-head on Dallas. They're going to have the head-to-head on Philadelphia. They just got to win out. That's what it's going to take. 13-3, and 
good chance Philly goes down again with a third loss. And huh, I mean, winning out, it's it's not that easy. I get it, it's the NFL, but the way they're playing, I just don't see anyone beating them at this point. Uh, San Francisco's fourth consecutive victory following a midseason swoon served as a sublime solve for a team that suffered so many indignities in Philly last January. The Niners lost both quarterbacks in a 31-7 defeat, forcing Purdy, who had suffered a torn UCL in his right elbow and could barely throw the ball two yards back into the game that basically became a farce. The 49ers had some scores to settle on Sunday, and the settling wasn't subtle. Purdy threw for 314 yards, four touchdowns, two of them Debo Samuel, four catches, 116 yards, who ripped through the Philly defense like a steak knife cutting through a freshly baked popover at Barkley Prime. Samuel, who riled the Eagles and their fans over the offseason by saying we lost because we played with 10 people, also scored on a 12-yard run that gave the Niners a 21-6 lead early in the third quarter. And this time, there was a Niners defense, which knocked out the Eagles quarterback, though Jalen Hurts placed into the concussion protocol after taking a hard shot to the head from San Francisco linebacker Oren Burks. There was one other memorable moment that underscored the 49ers' ramped up passion during the pivotal regular season clash, and it ranked with the most bizarre ejections in franchise history. The Bush League push. Not to be confused with the tush push, the Eagles' nearly unstoppable short yardage play starred Niners linebacker Dre Greenlaw, the Eagles' chief security officer, and a stunned and triggered coach who was utterly outraged by what had just occurred. Let's start with Greenlaw. In a Draymond, in a Draymond turn, the 49ers answer to the Warriors' notorious forward, Mr. Green, with 9.27 remaining in the third quarter. Uh, Hurts threw a 13-yard pass to wide out Devontae Smith, who was forcefully driven out of bounds by the linebacker on the Philly sideline. Eagles players and coaches took umbrage, provoking a verbal confrontation. Greenlaw was pushed back towards the field by Dom DeSandro, Philly's longtime security chief, a cult hero whose... Big Dom clothing line can be purchased at the stadium in support of the Eagles Autism Foundation. Greenlaw reached out to his left arm and grazed DeSandro's face with his finger, earning an injection. Eventually, DeSandro, who also sent off for his role in the fracas after a video review of the league headquarters, which officials are allowed to enlist in such situations, leaving the field to a hero's reception. Shanahan feverly defended his player and downright offended by the notion of a team official injecting himself into the action. Look, that's bullshit, man. What the fuck? Why would a team official security guard touch a player? You're not a player, bro. I get it. I'm sure it's good guy. Done a lot of great things for the Philly community. It's just bullshit. There's no other way to put it. Keep your hands off the fucking players, especially when you're not one. Yeah, it's just it's beyond me at this point. And just the fact that that can earn an injection. I mean, I'm getting pushed back. Your natural thing is to either push back or you swipe someone in the face, especially when that dude's not a player. So why would he get ejected? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Okay. All right. It says Shanahan feverly defended his player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Injected himself in the action, proceeded to detonate like former Niners coach Jim Harbaugh, summoning referee Alex Campham, in fact, venting his frustrations well beyond his assigned box on the visitor's sideline. Yeah, it's just tough to understand, Shannon. Told me because we don't get to see all of it. I'm trying to be as patient as I can, but then people who do get to see it and who tell me what's going on, mainly upstairs. It was just kind of hard to accept. I didn't know if it was a punch to the face. You get kicked out for punching. You don't get kicked out for pointing. I was just trying to figure it all out. But what I couldn't accept was who taunted him. And he's right. Absolutely no fucking place for it. None. As a matter of fact, 
I just go so far as to say, I mean, that, he's got to be banned at least for the rest of the year from the sideline. There's no fucking way you can accept that. I saw a video about a photographer who I believe was boys was like Tyree Kill or something. And they did like a selfie with a cell phone. And because he gave him the cell phone, and it wasn't even given him, it was like Tyreek took it out of his hand and took the picture or whatever it was, that photographer now had his pass pulled for the rest of the year. If that's going to happen, I, I'd, I'd be shocked, absolutely shocked, if this guy's back anytime soon. Okay. Uh, as the situation escalated, Greenlaw also appeared to get verbally a verbal lashing from Eagles coach Nick Sirianni, whose eagerness to embrace the Philly persona has caused many Niners players to regard him as fake tough guy. Who I like that. Sirianni tried to make it right with Shanahan after the game, telling him he regretted the way the incident had gone down. I know they felt bad about it, Shannon said in the dressing room as his son Carter and the Niners general manager John Lynch waited for him to put his shoes on and get the hell out of Philly. But when we lose one of our best players, he's getting into it with someone who's not involved in the game. That was kind of hard to accept at the time. But you've got to accept it and move on. Accept it and move on. That's what Reddick, who last Sunday told KYW news reporter, talk is cheap and legions of Eagles fans have been telling 49ers to do since the solemn Sunday at the link last January. That free advice reached its expiration date on Sunday at approximately 7.15 p.m. Eastern time as Samuel caught a screen from Purdy and raised 46 yards down the middle of the Eagles' defense for a how-do-you-like-us-now touchdown. Now it's the Eagles who have to find a way to look past the humbling result in a regroup. There could well be a third act to the passion play come January. If that happens, you can bet both teams will bring it. Forgive the Niners in their current mentality, bring it on. After Sunday, they know who they are and what they're capable of. And that, as calm as their head coach can be during times of stress, Shanahan will have their back when they are under attack. Great article by Mike Silver. All right. Look, once again, that's bullshit. Don't fucking touch our player. And there's no way a Niners player should be kicked out because he was getting taunted by the Eagles security guy. That's just garbage. It's an embarrassment to the NFL. It's an embarrassment to the Eagles. It's an embarrassment to the officials. It's just stupid. There's really no other way to put this. Now, as far as the Eagles and the 49ers are concerned, this is a fucking rivalry. It is on. Now, you kind of had a feeling it was going to be that way, but you didn't know. But there's been a lot of shit talking back and forth. And now, here are the 49ers that go into their house and beat the bricks off of them. How do you like me now is exactly what they should be saying. But, lest I remind everybody, this isn't the end-all be-all for this season. I don't know if these two teams match up again. They may. They may not. I'm not sure if the Eagles are good enough. Seriously. I, did, I just don't know. I'm not sure if the Eagles will get past whoever they have to play in the playoffs from in the first round. So, we'll see. But, hey, maybe they run the table and maybe they're the ones that end up having home field advantage and the Niners got to go back there. Still not going to change my mind that when healthy, the Niners are a much better football team. Much, much better football team. And... Look, I got a lot of respect for the city of Philadelphia. What they have done as a sports city is pretty cool. The way they got behind Trey Turner from all the boos to the cheers. The Phillies fans are fantastic. The Eagles fans are, I'd say, probably a little more rough around the edges. There's a video surfacing around the internet of 49ers fans sitting there just getting absolutely fucking bombarded with snowballs. Hey, it's all somewhat in good fun. 
I don't mind it so long as it's not dangerous and they're not throwing bottles. I'm sure it was something that started out kind of tongue in cheek and did it go over the top? I, you guys got to see the fucking video. I mean, of course, it was way over the top. But I'm not even going to get super mad at them for that. The bullshit that happened on the sideline, if I'm the Niners or a Niners fan, that pisses me off. Really, really pisses me off. So between all of that and this tough guy mentality, Sirianni doing his doing his thing, and then after the game being all apologetic. Look, dude, I one or the other. One or the fucking other. Because apparently last weekend he walked over to the Buffalo Bills locker room because he didn't see Sean McDermott after the game that they had against the Bills. And it was sort of this big production of him walking over there, I think, with one of the Eagles owners and shaking his hand and good guy, good gesture. Dude, save that shit. Get the fuck out of my locker room. That's how I would have felt. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm a competitor. Maybe the whole thing's getting the best of me. Now, and I'm a, look, I'm a Niners fan and I'm a Bills fan. So it was fun to see the Niners take care of business. The Bills should have beat that team by three fucking touchdowns. They 1,000% let them back into the game. What? I mean, it's just, oh, we kept kept shooting ourselves in the foot. I mean, even if our, if, our, if our kicker just made the fucking field goals, it wouldn't have gone to overtime. I mean, it just would have, game would have been a foregone conclusion. So, nonetheless, it, this has gotten me excited about the NFL, though. I, I think this is really, really good for the game of football. So, with that victory, Brock Purdy, is now the favorite to win the MVP. And the Niners are the favorites to win the Super Bowl. This is wild. Since the San Francisco 49ers have separated themselves from the pack as a betting favorites to win the Super Bowl, and their quarterback, Brock Purdy, now sits atop the odds for the league MVP. The 49ers in their impressive Road win over the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday moved to three and one. Three three to one odds to win the Super Bowl at ESPN bet. The shortest odds for the big game that any team has had all season. The 49ers, Chiefs, and Eagles had been co-favorites last week, but odds makers believe San Francisco is clearly the team to beat. Other than the first quarter, they look dominant. Adam Paul, an assistant director of trading for Caesars Sportsbook, said of the 49ers, it wasn't even close. They cemented themselves as of now as the best team in the league. Purdy passed for 314 yards and four touchdowns against the Eagles, outplayed Philadelphia quarterback Jalen Hurts, who had been the MVP favorite. Purdy entered Sunday at 9-1 to odds to win the NFL regular season MVP behind four other players. When the odds reopened Monday at ESPN Bet, Purdy was a favorite at three to one he began the season as around a 45 to one to win the award and attract a significant betting interest purdy winning the award is the worst case scenario for the house in caesar sportsbook mvp odds oh that'd be great a big cock brock just stuck it to the casinos wow dallas cowboys quarterback Dak prescott is right on Purdy's heels. His odds are plus 325, followed by Jalen Hurts at plus 350. Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes is 6-1. And Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson, 7-1, with Tua at 9-1. This is what you get. Because all the talking heads out there won't even fucking mention Brock Purdy. And so the sports books, I feel like, had a bias towards Dak Prescott and Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes. Yet, all you had to do was look at the fucking numbers. He's leading the league in almost everything, including the number one statistic that I would say matters when it comes to quarterbacks. It's kind of like war in baseball. It's QBR. So when you have someone that's been that good, that's been that efficient, that's on 
the best team in fucking football. Yeah. That right there is your MVP. Now, the MVP award has long been a quarterback award. But I would caution everybody here and say, if you watch the San Francisco 49ers, I love Brock Purdy, and he is legit. And he may just be the most valuable player of the NFL. But I will also tell you that I don't think he's the most valuable player on his fucking team. That honor goes to Christian McCaffrey. What he's doing is game-changing. This is the best football player that potentially I have ever seen in my entire lifetime. The fact that he just does so many different things is what makes him great. Now, sure, Jerry Rice, best receiver of all time, everything that's carried you know, Quarterback, give it to Tom Brady. As long as you're evaluating, obviously, you can evaluate on statistics, evaluate Super Bowl wins. He's the best fucking quarterback, period. Uh, you go to the running back. I mentioned this on Friday. It's Barry Sanders, uh, the greatest running back I've ever seen. Now, greatest athlete in the history of the NFL was Bo fucking Jackson. So there's there's all these different categories. Well, I would say that Christian McCaffrey is the best football player in the NFL right now. And he might be one of the best ever, period. So with all that, it'll be interesting to see if he could even get his name into the conversation for MVP for the season. Now, as far as the Niners are concerned, they become the favorites at three to one. Like last week, I'm going to tell you guys, go do yourselves a favor. The odds are only going to shrink from here. This team's not losing. Uh, now, the only way it could get hung up, and it's a possibility, is if they deal with injuries. That's it. Uh, that's the only way I could see any other team on a neutral site field beating them. And so if they went out, and so long as Philly loses one more fucking game, they're going to be playing in San Francisco. They're not losing. And then you're going to go to Vegas, where their season actually started with a preseason tilt against the Raiders. And I don't give a fuck who they play. Miami, Kansas City, Buffalo. And I'm a Bills fan. Niners are going to be tough to beat. And they're going to be the heavy favorites. So hop on them right now. They're at plus 300. The Chiefs. And so this also will tell you, right? Because there's a huge gap. The Chiefs are the next team on here. And if you watched them play last night, uh, do yourself a favor. And if you could short the Chiefs, if you could bet against the Chiefs, do it. This team is not a fucking Super Bowl team. They're just not. There's no chance. The Dolphins are the team to beat in the American League. But the Chiefs are at plus 550. The Eagles are at plus 550. They're the... What I think about them. The Ravens, that could be a scary one. Yeah. The Ravens at plus 650 could be really difficult to contend with. John Harbaugh has got the Ravens playing really good football. But the next best value here when it comes to winning the Super Bowl is the Miami Dolphins at plus 750. I think we're looking at a 1984 rematch between the San Francisco 49ers and the Miami Dolphins in Vegas. Now, the last one was at Stanford Stadium in Palo Alto. I did not go to the game, but I did go to pregame festivities. I was, what, like eight years old, bumping around Stanford Stadium, just all jacked up. So I didn't go inside. Somehow I couldn't get a ticket. But... I was rolling around outside the stadium. What a cool experience that was. So if I were to have to predict the Super Bowl right now, that would be it. And also, if I would have to predict the outcome, it's going to be pretty similar to what happened at Stanford Stadium. That was a fucking 49ers route. So 
Here we are playing Nostradamus again on the Daily Hustle. The Jaguars, excuse me, the Cowboys at plus 900. Wow. So they do not have faith in the Cowboys getting out of the NFC. Cowboys and Niners are the two best teams. Two best teams by far in the NFC. Eagles maybe a distant third. The Jaguars are a plus 1,300. I don't know. I think the Lions are better than the Eagles. I'm serious. They're plus 1,500. That might be a good value. The Bills are plus 4,000. Well, fuck off. That's because we don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. That'd be the next best one to bet on. The Bills at 40 to 1 odds and the Niners at 3 to 1. The only question is, will they find their way into the postseason? The Texans are plus 6,000. I like them. They're not winning the Super Bowl. Falcons, 7,500. Browns, Packers, Colts, Broncos. They'll just wipe these teams off. They're done. Done, 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 and done. So it's pretty crazy to see how those odds have changed in such a short period of time. But, you know, the Vegas odds makers, all you had to do was look at the numbers before and look at Purdy's numbers from last year. So you shouldn't have listed him at 45 to fucking one when you knew the Niners were going to be good and he was going to be the quarterback. Like, you know, crazy, crazy odds. That's on you guys. And then now, even as of like two, three weeks ago, when his name wasn't even in the conversation because the Niners were losing, well, you had to figure they'd figure out a way to right the ship. If they did, it was going to be because of Brock Purdy. All right. The next article we got here. I, I don't, I'm not going to get it. I have a whole thing. It was a Wall Street Journal article, article about Christian McCaffrey and about the running back position. We're going to discuss that tomorrow on the Daily Hustle, but we cannot and will not end this show without going over the fact that Florida State and Georgia got absolutely fucked. There is no other way to put it. The CFP Anger Index unpacking the outrage of the Florida State and Georgia snub. Okay. Obviously, Florida State runs the table. They go 13-0. and 0. And then you had Georgia, who had a perfect record. 12-0 and 0 going into the last game against Alabama. They play him to the last play of the game. They lose by three. That's kind of like, look, what else are we supposed to do? Well, both of those teams are on the outside looking in at this point. So it says here, in the olden days, we had a beauty contest. The top team in the nation was decided entirely by the voters. Then we moved to a better system, one determined in part by computers and at least added some math to the abstract rationalizing while also allowing two teams to decide it on the field. Then we moved to a 14 playoff, and the whole point was to eliminate the hypotheticals and let a champion be crowned by the actual results on the field. If you won your games, then you had a chance to be a national title winner. Turns out all of that was a charade. None of it mattered. The games are pointless. What happens on the field is less important than what a committee thinks might happen in a future matchup. It's an absolute slap in the face to every player who's ever put on a helmet, laced up the cleats and marched onto the field to battle for a victory because a bunch of folks in a conference room in Texas decided their sacrifice was not as important as the Las Vegas line on a potential playoff matchup. It's a joke. Yes, Florida State is without starting quarterback Jordan Travis, meaning it would have had to play with a quarterback who wasn't an opening week starter in order to win a national title. And of course, that couldn't happen. After all, only 2014 Ohio State, 2017 Alabama, 2018 Clemson, 2021 Georgia did that. What are the odds that something that's happened 44% of the time would happen again? And sure, FSU's passing in was a mess in the ACC championship. No argument there. Funny thing, though, FSU won its title game by more than Alabama did. In fact, FSU has won its past two games by more than Alabama has. And since Travis got hurt, 
in week 12 against North Alabama, the Seminoles have thrown for just eight fewer yards than Michigan has in the same stretch. But there was no debate about Michigan. Oh, and this is probably irrelevant in the face of such poor quarterback performance against Louisville. But there's also the small matter that the QB who started the game, Brock Glenn, wouldn't be the starter, wouldn't be starting a playoff game since Tate Rodmaker would be out of concussion protocol by then. The committee cared about one stat when making the decision. FSU's 55 passing yards against Louisville. Here's the stats it ignored. Seven sacks, 14 tackles for losses, 10 passes defended, 189 rushing yards against a stacked box, a 10-point win over a top 15 team with a QB making his first start. Let's be real about what happened here. The committee members couldn't leave the SCC out of the playoff. They didn't care that Alabama needed a miracle to avoid a loss to 6-6 six and six Auburn two weeks ago. They didn't care that Georgia's own injuries playing with a banged-up Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers. What great names. Lad McConkey and Brock Bowers. I don't know if those are like... I'm mean, obviously a good Irishman. Sounds like a fighter. And Brock Bowers, that's definitely some kind of porn name. Likely played a large part in the why they tied one Saturday. They didn't care that the ACC has a winning record head-to-head against the SEC this season. They didn't care that Alabama beat 2023 Georgia, not 2021 or 2022 Georgia. They cared that Alabama and the SEC had to have a spot in the playoffs by birthright. And as a result, they sent a message that what happened on the field, the blood, the tears, the sacrifice the players made all season, to win every game on their schedule was less important than getting the most compelling TV matchup. But hey, there'll be a 12-team playoff next year, so we're all forgiven, right? All right. That's a tough one. Really is. I see where the committee is going with this. I do think you could look at the Vegas lines and see what they would be and then try to match them up. I don't think it's a terrible thing. You got to have a computer system to spit this shit out. You have to come up with a formula. It's it's not hard. You take the strength of schedule. You take all the shit. And here's the thing. I, the best way to do it, you take margin of victory, strength of schedule, points allowed. That's how they do in travel ball, right? The run scored. I think that's bigger than run scored because anybody can run up a score. So come up with a system. And then going forward, that will give you your 12 best teams. But if your strength of schedule is dog shit and you haven't beat anybody, but you can't start making fucking decisions like this based on who the starting quarterback is. If your starting quarterback gets hurt and they're like, well, they're not going to be playing without them and they only have 55 yards passing. Uh Uh-uh. If they keep winning, uh, the computer is not going to discriminate against that. So there's got to be some kind of algorithm that you could put together instead of have a group of committee members sitting at a table in Texas deciding the fate of these teams. It's just wrong. It's bullshit. Now, I don't know what computer model would have spit out the top four teams, but I have a feeling, obviously, the first two would have been there, and that's Michigan and Washington. But then after that, it just, the waters get dirty, man. You have, I you have, I mean, Alabama's obviously there. Texas is there. Georgia is there. The Sooners are 10 and two. So th- this whole thing is all about what a 12-team playoff would look like. And... Yeah, I mean, it'd be cool. So here's the 12 teams they have in here. Florida State, Washington, Georgia, Oklahoma, SMU. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. It's, look, for the longest time, you had the voters coming up with who they thought was one and two. I mean, it was even worse than it, it is now. 
I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's worse now than it ever has been before. I will say this, though. Dion says it ain't no playoff with the FSU snub. After getting bypassed with the college football playoff, Florida State didn't exactly receive a sympathetic ear from one of its most distinguished alumni. Colorado head coach Deion Sanders told 247 Sports Carl Reed that there was, quote, no way both Alabama and Georgia would miss the playoff and that, quote, it ain't no playoff with neither in the semifinals. Sanders echoed his comments during an appearance on the Dan Lebertard show. Thanks in effect to Jordan Travis's season and injury going 13-0 and and winning the ACC wasn't enough for Florida State to claim the top spot. Alabama moved into the top four on strength of its SEC title game victory over Georgia with Big 12 champion Texas leapfrogging the Seminoles as well. That doesn't make sense either. Now, the argument would be that Texas beat Alabama. So how do you put Alabama in there and not Texas? That's the reason why fucking Texas is in. That's it. Because other than that, they did not deserve to leapfrog Florida State. It says the motions were understandably raw in Tallahassee and inside ACC offices. It says a statement from the FSU football head coach, Mike Norville. I'm disgusted and infuriated with the committee's decision today to have what was earned on the field taken away because of a small group of people decided they knew better than the results of the game. What is the point of playing games? Do you tell players it's okay to quit if someone goes down? Do you not play a senior on senior day for fear of injury? Where is the motivation to scheduling challenging non-conference games? We are not only an undefeated P5 conference champion, but we also played two P5 non-conference games away from home and won both of them. I don't understand how we are supposed to think this is an acceptable way to evaluate a team. This is from ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips, who calls the CFP's decision to exclude FSU unfathomable. Quote, it's unfathomable that Florida State, an undefeated Power 5 conference champion, was left out of the college football playoff. Their exclusion calls into question the selection process and whether the committee's own guidelines were followed, including a significant importance of being an undefeated Power 5 conference champion. My heart breaks for the talented FSU student-athletes and coaches and their passionate, loyal fans. Florida State deserved better. College football deserved better. So, yeah, a lot of whining, a lot of crying. I get it. I really do. I don't blame them. This is uh, it's tough. It really is. It's one of those things that you got to look those boys in the eyes and say, you did what you guys had to do. Life ain't fair. And this isn't the only thing that's going to happen to you in life that is not fair. But let this be a lesson that No matter what, you guys just continue to keep doing what the fuck you're doing and do your job. Now, so often we like to believe that other people will do theirs, but that's not up to us. So in this case, the committee did not do their job. You cannot leave Florida State out. You just can't do it. Can't. there's, There's no way you leave Florida State out. Well, they obviously did, and we'll see what happens. I mean, it's going to be what? I think Washington is taking on Texas, and then you got Alabama and Michigan. This could be some good football games coming up. All right, so this is what, yeah, here is the 12-team playoff system and what it would look like. You ready? First-round playoff game. The first round next year will be held on campus with the highest four seeds getting home games. Those games in 2024 – will be held on December 20 and 21. This is what it would have looked like for this year. These would have been those four games. Liberty at Florida State. I mean, who the fuck put Liberty at? Really? We get a battle of unbeatens out of the gate. Here's the thing, though. And I got to look at Liberty's schedule. 
But just because you went undefeated, even in a smaller conference, should not guarantee you the right to be a top 12 team. The strength of schedule has got to be high enough. So if you're not playing any non-conference juggernauts, like we can't help you. You just can't do it. Because there needs to be incentive to play really good teams and beat really good teams. If you're, let's just say the San Jose States of the world, I'm a huge San Jose State fan, booster, supporter of the program. Well, if San Jose State ever really wants to get their name to the conversation as potentially being a national powerhouse or a team that could get invited to the final 12, your non-conference games need to be who? They need to be fucking USC. They need to be UCLA. They need to be uh, Michigan. So they went this year. I don't know if it was, was Ohio State they played. I know they played SC, but they were, they started off like one and five. But if you're one of these smaller schools and you want to try to get in here, you better go dance with the big boys. Uh, they have number 11, Mississippi against number six, Georgia. Number 10, Penn State versus number seven, Ohio State. Number nine, Missouri at number eight, Oregon. And then the playoff quarterfinals, it says, the games would be played will play host to the final eight teams. So after after the first round, you got eight, right? 2024 season schedule has a fiesta bowl being played December 31st. The Peach, Rose, and Sugar will be held January 1st. So this is what it would have looked like. Oregon, Missouri winner versus number one, Michigan. Ohio State, Penn State winner versus number two, Washington. Georgia, Mississippi winner against number three, Texas. And Florida State, Liberty winner against number four, Alabama, the playoff semifinal schedule. The semifinals will be held at Orange Bowl on January 9th and the Cotton Bowl January 10th. Oregon or Missouri or Michigan versus Florida State, Liberty or Alabama. Ohio State, Penn State or Washington against Georgia or Mississippi or Texas. And then the playoff championship is going to be held January 20th in Atlanta and feature the semifinal winner. So there you go. Feel bad for Florida State. Onward, upward. Great season, boys. They also got a big bull game played, too. So you got to try to stay motivated for that. Got a great long daily hustle. Had no intention of going this long, but obviously there was a lot to talk about over the weekend. Back tomorrow, and we should have a new episode of Deuces Wild tomorrow night as well. So everyone have a fantastic day, and we will see ya! Mañana a.m. Hasta luego.